But, Lord being our helper, we're here because we know how much we need our God. And today I want to talk to you about being not good. And some of you will identify with me and some of you will say, well, I'm pretty good. And that's okay. We'll see where we end up by the end of our time together. And, uh, you know, it wasn't too long ago that I was going through a McDonald's drive through In Elmira we have this twin drive through you know that. And you know what the protocol is when you uh, take your order, when they take your order and you drive through, you're supposed to wait until the next person drives through, you know. But sometimes, for some reason, your order is faster and you shoot ahead. And then the other person in the other lane may not quite see it the same way you do and be a little offended because you have pulled ahead. And uh, I like to think of myself as a good person, well-behaved person, a law-abiding person, all those things. Well, the other lady was slow, I shot ahead. So, anyway, I picked up my, my coffee, uh, and then the other fella, he gets his coffee, and now he's at the stop sign at the road, he's turning right, I'm turning left, I look right, and there he is, busy making hand signals. <laughs> <laughs> Ever had an experience like that? Yeah. Okay. And I'm feeling really bad because I didn't want to offend you. So, and sometimes, yeah, I feel pretty bad about stuff. And I'm saying that is unfair because really I was finished or he was, and I was ready to go. Uh, but, you know, I'm also not too comfortable when people say to me, well, you're a really good person. Because, you see, I know all that's brewing inside. And I know all the struggles that I have. And so I feel uncomfortable when somebody pays me a compliment and says, you're a really good person. And so I want to talk about that in particular. Now we need to talk first of all about what it is to be good before we get too far. But there is a, uh, a way of Jesus statement, which is I'm being sent by Jesus to bless others, to invite them to follow him. And that what we do is we coach people to say when people give us a compliment because we bless them and we don't know what to say is, I am just trying to follow Jesus. He wants me to do good to others, and that's all I'm doing right here. In other words, deflecting the praise, sending it towards the Lord where it really belongs. And so it's in that kind of uh, mode that we're going to be reflecting. And so we begin with the story of the rich young ruler. It's a very short uh, account in Mark chapter 10. It's elsewhere. But here we're reading it out of Mark chapter 10. A few verses. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up from uh, to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Good question. And then Lord Jesus rebukes him in effect. Rather abrupt and startling response. Why do you call me good? No one good is good except God alone. You know the commandments. 
Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. You recognize that as being a partial list of the Ten Commandments. And so this rich young ruler says, Teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. I've been a very, very good boy all my life. Jesus looked at him and loved him. He appreciated the simplicity, the transparency. And then the Lord Jesus nails him. One thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. This is not a lesson about you selling everything that you have. If the Lord tells you that, of course, do it. But this is a lesson about really understanding our own hearts and the nature of goodness. Was he right in desiring eternal life? Absolutely. Did he have any idea as to what eternal life is? You see, a lot of us don't. In fact, most people don't. If it means living forever and ever and ever, just like here, I'm not certain, I'm keen on that. It doesn't get better as I'm getting older. Somehow, and I was saying this to my brother here, that somehow wasting away, because the scripture talks about we are wasting away. Somehow as I waste away, I'm weighing more. How does that happen? But what is eternal life? And you know, we've talked about this several times in which the Lord Jesus gives us the core. It is relationship. John chapter 17. To know the Father and to know the Son who sends. And so why is he interested in eternal life? Could it be that he is simply so driven because here's another thing to achieve. Is it something that will really satisfy his soul? Why does he want eternal life? Does he even have any idea, aside from this driven sense that he has, does he care about his relationship with God? Okay, why do you want eternal life? You want to live forever? You want to stay out of hell? Not a bad thing. But let's understand what the essence of it is. Because you won't be out of hell if, in fact, you don't want to live with the Lord. So why call me good? His first mistake was a weak definition of what goodness is. He thinks he's a good guy. He's lived like this all his life. He was a good boy. Mama and Papa told him, you are a good boy. Jesus says, no, you've got to understand, only God is good. You read the book of Job, you know he was a righteous and an upright man. But you'll also know how often he recognizes that no one can stand in righteousness before God. You see, this rich young ruler did not understand the whole significance of the temple and its sacrifices. It is based on the premise that we are sinners and that we cannot come before God unless we are covered by substitutionary blood, you see? And so that's what the whole sacrificial system is about. A substitution 
that God makes for us. He thinks he's kept the Ten Commandments. Have you read Matthew chapter 5? How did the Lord Jesus redefine, refine our understanding of what it is to murder? If you are angry, you are a... I, yeah, I don't want to think about that. Because I get angry. Right? Yeah. And what about adultery? What is that? Jesus redefines that. And he heightens the stakes, you see. Because it is essentially about what's happening inside us. And in our relationship with God. You see, he'd learned this checklist approach to what it is to relate to God. So, I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do this, so I must be in a pretty good relationship with God. You see? And this is really a pagan idea. It's the idea that we can either bribe or somehow pacify God. Praise God that Jesus sets us free from this. Because it doesn't work, it's never satisfying. I remember being in Sri Lanka, I was there with uh, several pastors, we were in the vehicle, a rented vehicle, a Hindu driver, and we aren't long before, he's jumped out of the car and he's over at the shrine. What's he doing over at the shrine? Well, he's paying the God a little bribe, you see, so that we have a safe trip. I said, why? I'm much happier that I follow Jesus. I don't need to bribe him. I can just say, Jesus, Look after us. Amen? Yeah. So understand, this is not putting down anybody, but don't you prefer to live with a God who loves you, who cares for you, that you can entrust yourself to? And so, you see, the tendency is that when we think we are good enough, we fiddle the standard. The Pharisees did that. We tend to do that. I'm good because I'm better than so-and-so. And I don't do that. But the standard that God sets is actually much higher than that. It is the standard of the life of Jesus. That's why the third saying of the way of Jesus is, I'm learning to be like Jesus in my attitudes, behaviors, and character. That's the goal. And I don't attain it. That's why we need grace. You know what grace is? Oh, we cannot earn ourselves what God gives us freely. Now, his second mistake is that he does not see Jesus as the divine Messiah from God. Why do you call me good? Only God is good. Was Jesus saying that he wasn't good? No, he was actually pushing this man to really think about who he was. Who he is. And you see, Jesus is more than a good teacher. Still a problem amongst many folk today who see Jesus only as a good teacher. You read in Hebrews this wonderful, wonderful description of Jesus and his role as high priest for us. Who intercedes, who opens the way to the living God. And there... This is why he took on our humanity. He can sympathize with our weaknesses, but he has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Well, I won't ask you how many times you've sinned today. I know you've sinned a lot because you're just like me. 
We're not without sin, but we have one who is without sin, who can represent us firmly, uh, uh, assuredly. And so then we have this wonderful declaration and promise in Hebrews. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. Yes, God will hear my prayers. God will receive me well because of the one who is my mediator. What a privilege we have in Jesus. Now, third mistake that the rich young ruler makes is he thinks he can do something to gain eternal life. What must I do? And so he's made a mistake right from the start. There is nothing that we can do enough of, well enough, or long enough. And you know, you know it was really tough to be a good boy all the time. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Now this is not a bad verse. It's in fact a good verse. Because it teaches us that we've all messed up. And none of us are going to make it. But praise God, he's provided a way. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, some of us like to think that we're pretty good. But let's understand that the standard of God is perfection. So, for example, in your password, if you make one mistake, are you going to get in? No. Drag. They want perfection. And we think it's pretty good, I think. Because wouldn't it be great if I could just go to the keyboard at the bank ATM and then I punch in a few numbers and I get into the Calvin and say, big account. And... <laughs> That'd be alright. Okay. Now, how many links in the chain do you need to break to break the chain? One. One. The standard of God is perfection. Well, 9 out of 10 is not a passing grade. Understand that. It's 10 out of 10. The standard has been set in the Lord Jesus, okay? Yes, blame Adam and Eve if you like, but hey, we're in the same boat with them, and it ain't going to help you to blame them. Okay, how about a bottle of pills? And you, you are assured that they're mostly pure. They're mostly under the label. How do you feel about that? No. In fact, massive recalls when somebody is, is concerned that there might be some pills that have been tainted or messed with. We understand the value of purity, of perfection. How about, oh, there's only one case of Ebola in the room. <laughs> You're all still sitting here. I don't understand that, but okay. Or well, then there's the experience of my friend, Pastor Lou, who is uh, back at uh, the Stoville Church right now. And uh, he was in language school a number of years back in Tanzania learning Swahili. So you know Akuna Matata and all that stuff? That's what he was learning. And uh, so he was told, or they were told as a class, not to worry about the green mamba or the black mamba or a couple of other things like cobras and things, okay? Uh, and because they were told, well, the snakes stay in the forest. Well, there came a day pretty quickly in which one of 
Pastor Lou's voice comes running up and says, Dad, Dad, they killed a green mamba right in front of the door of the hut where we're living. Well, Pastor Lou went to speak to the instructor and says, Hey, you told me that the snakes stay in the forest. You know what the, of the, uh, the uh, instructor's answer was? Well, yeah, that's true, but he was just making his way to the forest. <laughs> Uh, that was not very comfortable. <laughs> now, if you're told, fine, we cleaned out 999 snakes out of this room, there's just one left. Have a good sleep tonight. How are you going to feel about that? Oh. And you see, that's why heaven must be absolutely sin-free. Because what will happen if you allow sin in? It will grow, it will multiply, it will kill, it will ruin everything all over again. That's why we must have the God who saves us to the uttermost. That means completely. So he saves us right now from what? The penalty of sin? But he hasn't saved us from the presence of sin. He is saving us from the power of sin, but that's a process for us. But someday I am looking forward to being free entirely from this impulse to do wrong. All of us know what the right thing to do is. And how often do we fall short of even our own standards, our own conscience? So let's understand that it is not about doing the rich and the ruler's third mistake. His fourth mistake. He didn't see the bondage that he was in. So we read verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack. What Jesus was doing was putting his finger right on where this guy's God really was. You see? And so when God does that to us, what does he see and what's he saying to us? Because that's the point at which we can then begin to really embrace the only remedy that there is. Where is your heart centered? Where is my heart centered? What is God saying? And then Jesus says, come, follow me. This rich young ruler could not follow Jesus because his heart was fixed on something else. His fourth mistake. His fifth mistake. God is not a to-do list. Yes, this looked like a point earlier, but the point that I want to emphasize is you have to get to know God. God is someone to know and love. Some of you will say, well, I can't know and love a disembodied spirit. Yes, you can. In fact, the thing that makes love real in our relationship with people who do have bodies is not the body. It's in fact something else, something spiritual, something intangible. And so that's what makes our relationships matter. And so God says, you have the opportunity to know me, to know me, and to love me, to experience the reality of me walking with you every day. And we love him because he first loved us. And we serve him because we have learned to love him. And then we serve others because of that love. That's what motivates us together. Serving Jesus, serving others, 
together. You'll remember the story in Luke chapter 17 of the ten lepers that were cured, and only one came back to say thank you. So now we're shifting from focusing on what it is to be good. I think most of us recognize we aren't there. We are, yes, praise God, becoming more like Jesus, but I'm still a long, long way. And now we focus on the importance of thankfulness. You might say, today is not Thanksgiving Sunday. Well, every day is Thanksgiving Sunday. Okay? And so, Calvin, this is why I wanted Colossians 3 read. Okay? And I don't know quite where the mistake was. Probably my mistake was I'm not perfect. And so Colossians 3, not 1. All right. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you are called to peace. And be, what's the next word? Thankful. Oh, there it is. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see how Paul weaves thankfulness throughout? This is central, essential to our walk with God. It's linked to the peace of Christ in his body. When we don't focus on being thankful, what happens? We start getting at each other's throats. Linked to the readiness to receive and apply the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And linked to our worship and our singing. We sing so much better when we're thankful. Isn't that true? And linked to our wholehearted service. Whatever you do in word or doing deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So being thankful is central. Thankful for even the imperfect community that we belong to. We know we're not perfect. But sometimes we spend a lot of time nitpicking and criticizing instead of recognizing the fact that God's blessing is upon us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is known as, uh, uh, for his, his sermons, for a book called The Cost of Discipleship. He was hanged because he was anti-Nazi, in fact, took part in a plot to assassinate uh, Hitler. He was a Lutheran pastor. He's got a lot to teach on the importance and the value of community. And when the community is imperfect, it doesn't get us off the hook. So I'll just read a little bit from this quotation. We consider this lament about how poor our church is, how insufficient, how inadequate. We consider this lament to be pious. We pray for the big things and forget to give thanks for the ordinary small, and yet really not small gifts. How can God entrust great things to one who will not be thankfully received from him the little thing? You see, have you got the door of thankfulness open? for what God is doing in our midst and with each other. Even if we, if we 
do not give thanks daily for the Christian fellowship in which we have in place. And we only keep complaining to God that everything is so paltry and petty. Then we hinder God from letting our fellowship grow according to the measure and riches which are there for us all in Jesus Christ. Be thankful for your own chapel. Amen. This is the beloved bride of Christ in this place. Bless and do not lament. There is no place for pious moaning. It is not pious. Remember what kept the children of Israel wandering for 40 years. It was their murmuring, their grumbling, their inability to recognize the good hand of God. Be genuinely grateful for your blessings. You all know this. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. And if we're honest, we understand that this list goes on and on and on forever. I had a young man sitting in my front room, and he was moaning and groaning. He supposedly loved Jesus, but he was moaning and groaning. So I said, I won't name him. Tell me one thing that you're thankful for. He could hardly do that. He could hardly do that. Because he's so preoccupied with everything that was bad and wrong. Now, some of you may know the name Melody Carlson. I don't. Apparently, she's written a book called Faded Denim, Color Me Trapped. Anybody familiar with that book? No, I'm not either. But here's, here's a quotation. Instead of thanking God for my two strong legs that are able to run and jump and fly, I wind about my thunder thighs and thick ankles. Instead of rejoicing that I have two capable arms that can lift and carry and balance my body, I complained about the flab that hung beneath them. I have been totally and uh, unbelievably ungrateful for everything. Like a completely spoiled brat, I took my healthy body for granted. I criticized it and despised it. With crystal clarity, I know that I do not deserve the good health that God has mysteriously blessed me with. Ever been there? Hmm? Ever been there? Yes, every good thing. So now we come to this matter of whatever goodness we have, recognizing that it is like the light of the moon, which is not the light of the moon, it is the light of the sun, reflected. Okay? And so when someone says, you are good, I personally am too conscious of how not good I am, and I'm learning to say, I am not good, I'm grateful. And I'm learning to live out my gratefulness to Jesus by following his example. Can you say that and give a witness? I think we can. I'm learning to reflect the light back on Jesus. It also guards me against thinking too highly about myself and then having other folks say, you're a holier-than-thou person, okay? I'm not good, but I am grateful. And so we cast our crowns before the Lord. <clears throat> give Him praise. 
just the way the multitude in Revelation chapter 4. So thankful for our God. And so we have a command to obey, so I'll leave you with this pretty clear command, okay? Be joyful how? And when? Always. Oh, terrible word again. Keeps messing up my life. I prefer having an occasional pity party. What about you? Pray continually. Oh, again. I like to just keep that in a little box. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now understand it doesn't say for all circumstances. When the transmission falls out of my car, I'm not very thankful for that. But is God's presence in that? Yes! In all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Whatever you do, again from Colossians 3, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through Him. I am not good, but I am grateful. So we're going to come to the communion table, and we invite all those who want to say to Jesus, Yes, Jesus, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for what you've done. So this is an invitation to come and to express your thankfulness for God's unspeakable gift. And it's an opportunity for you to renew your relationship with Him. And to say, Jesus, yes, I remember that hymn, I surrender all. I'm not very good at that. But by faith I'm going to do it. I'm going to ask those who are helping serve this morning to come forward. And this is an invitation to let go of all the stuff that gets in the way and to discover how God is so good to come and minister to us.